0: Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. We exist to be a life-giving church in our community that helps people know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and go make a difference. Here you will find weekly sermons and teachings from our Sunday services. Let's dive into this week's message. So if you're in your Bible, we're gonna be in two main areas. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter 28, talking about the end of this Easter story. And then we're gonna jump over to Hebrews chapter 11. Which is known as this faith chapter, and then we're gonna come back to Matthew chapter 28 and just finish. And all I want to do is 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 literally the title of this message, and you see it on the screen, Leave No Doubt. Leave no doubt. I, I grew up in athletics. You know, if, if you could bounce it, kick it, like we did it. Like like we loved athletics. We love playing sports. You know, I, I go back and visit my old home and we had this little neighborhood, and, and there was a bunch of boys that kind of lived close, and we would get in that front yard, and we would play. You know, if it was baseball season, we were playing baseball in the front yard. If it was football season, we were playing football in the front yard. If it was basketball season, we all stayed in the house and didn't go outside. It, no, kidding. Like, We did whatever we could. And I laugh because I go back to that yard that seemed so big. And I look at it now, and I was like, how did we ever miss a tackle? Like, this thing is so tiny, you know? But everything was so, but that's what we did. And I can remember like like there were times when we'd be playing sports that our coach would look at us and say, listen, leave no doubt. Like go play, but play for something bigger than yourself. Play as a team. And when this game's over, leave no doubt to what really was gonna happen on that field. And honestly, that's the motive in which I'm going to talk to you guys about. And it starts in Matthew chapter 28. This is after Jesus has been crucified. He's resurrected. The ladies have seen him. They've reported the guard, to the, and they try tried to tell him to tell lies. And we pick up in verse 18. And it says, now the 11 disciples. Now, the first thing you're going to notice is going to be like, 11? Maybe I thought there was 12. Judas is already betrayed. And Judas has already hung himself. There's only 11 left. And these 11 disciples went to Galilee, because that's where Jesus had told them to go, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, this is talking about Jesus, they worshiped him. But listen to this next part. But some doubt it. The 11 disciples, and now there's a debate in this scripture. There's some people would say there would be more than just the 11. There would be some people that would talk about that there was a multitude of people. You have to understand that Jesus, when we talk about his 11 disciples, that was the inner circle, all right? 12, but one was a knucklehead and betrayed him. But Jesus had multiple disciples. It was not uncommon for a teacher in the synagogue to have disciples. And when Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, not only did he have the 12 disciples that followed him, in that three-year ministry, but he'd also have people that would gather and they would identify with what he was teaching and that's what a disciple means. It's like, that, that's my teacher, I'm his disciple. But this is directly talking about, to me, this is Mickey's translation. Some people will debate saying it was a large multitude. I take the synoptic gospels, thinking about Thomas who doubted, and I think that he's talking directly to these 11. And these 11 that had been with him for three years and seen everything, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but yet some of them still doubted. And you know what it made me think? How in the world, with everything that they had seen, how at that point are you still doubting? Like you've been with him for three years. You've watched him spit in the ground and take that mud and make a blind man see. You've watched, I mean, think about all the different things. Cast out demons and the pigs go flying off you know, into the field, walking through the fields and picking and then being accused of working on the Sabbath and the way he handled it. Like all of his different teachings, you've set at the Sermon on the Mount, you've watched him in all of these things, these seven miracles that are in the Gospel of John where he launches his ministry. You've dropped your net. You've dropped your life and you follow Jesus. And for three years, you've watched him do everything. And everything that he said he was going to do, he has done. Even to the point of now you realize when he says that the son of man must be buried and raised on the third day. Now you've even seen that. And you're seeing him and you're worshiping him. But yet you're still doubting. Doubting. You know what it made me? It gave me a lot of freedom because it let me realize that, you know what, if those disciples who saw everything doubt it, well, what makes us think that we ain't going to doubt? And it made me start thinking, well, what what normally causes somebody to doubt? What normally causes people to to not believe? What normally causes people? And and there's this one concept, and I'm just going to read what I wrote in my actual notes to make sure that I don't get off course. But I think one of the things that, that causes people to doubt is, is your life. It's not that you doubt Jesus. It's just that you doubt that you've accepted him because of what's being produced in your life. If you think about the Samaritan woman at the well, and she encounters Jesus and asks for a, Jesus asks her for a drink. And she says, I don't you know, I, I, you don't have anything to get a drink. And she wants him. And then he starts speaking to her and telling her about all these things. And, and in that, he, she's talking about how she's waiting for this Messiah. And Jesus says that I am that Messiah. And, but he uses this phrase. And in fact, I'll read it just to make sure I get it right. It's in John chapter four, verses 22 and 24. You're not going to see it on the screen, but, but I will read it verbatim. It says, you worship what you do not know. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people. I think some people struggle with doubt because they have a belief, but they never move from a belief to a knowing. Like there's been a time in your life where you've heard the gospel and you believe that Jesus died on the cross, you believe that he rose on the grave and you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And that was the beginning of your relationship with Jesus. And all these years later, guess what? You're still at the same spot. You've not, you've not gotten in God's Word. Not, you don't get into a small group. You don't get around people that are talking about godly things. Like, like let me put it in a, in a better situation where you'll understand. If you think about going to school, you know, we're in prom season. I've been seeing pictures. My daughter had prom last night, and, and it was awesome to see all these kids. And, and it's, it's funny to watch them grow up. And it's funny how kids will come up to you, and they'll be like, Hey, Mickey, how are you doing? You remember me? And I'm like, why do you ask that? That's such a terrible question. Like, no, I don't remember you. I know I look as good as I've always looked, but you have grown up and don't look anywhere the same. You coached me in football when I was seven years old. I I have no idea who you are. You're 17 years old now. Like, who are you, you know? But you're trying to, because listen, they grow up. Like a part of life is growing up but yet we accept Jesus Christ and we allow everything in our lives to grow up, but we're still at the same place and we're not maturing. Like, listen, I'm saying this as lovingly as I can. Jesus wants to save you, but he doesn't want that to be the end of your story. Like his whole desire for your life is not just to save you from hell. That's the first part in the reason why he died. But what he wants for you is what he says in John ten ten. He says, I, I want you to have life and to have life to the full. And so a lot of times people struggle just like this woman at the well because they have a belief, but they don't have a knowledge. That's the reason why our first step, one of the things we talk about here at Crossroads, is we want people to know God. In Matthew, it says that many people will come to him in the end, and they will say, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out many demons? And I will look at them and say, depart from me, for I never knew you. I want us to leave no doubt in our own lives, because I want us to move from a belief in Jesus to a intimate knowledge of who Jesus and God is. But I think sometimes that's what we do. We struggle with doubts. We struggle with different things, just like this woman at the well, because we are believing in something that we don't even know. I love how this scripture said that that there's gonna be a group of people that know him and they're gonna worship him in spirit and in truth. And it says, and God seeks such people. I'm going to step out on a limb for Pastor Zach this morning. Do you know what one of my greatest desires for our church is? The first is that we'll be a praying church, first and foremost. Like that's why all these prayer requests are here. You say, what is that big stack down there? That's all the answers. We've added two more today. We had a young lady praying for a scholarship. It's like a $24,000 scholarship. There was thousands of people and just wanted to get to the final four. She got to the final four. Well, she found out this week she won the thing. She got the whole thing. Yes, you can clap for that. It's all right. And I think she's amazing. But I'd also say, don't you think that prayer didn't help you? And so it's one of those things. We, we got somebody that's been having a lot of issues with their shoulder. We've been praying since January. He just wanted a job. Tomorrow he starts his job. You know what I'm saying? Like, like God listens and God responds. That's what all these are. And there's a lot more to that. But listen to me. In the process of knowing God, not only do I want us to be a praying church, but I want us to be a church that learns how to worship. Because here's what worship is. Let me help you. Worship is taking all the credit and all the glory and putting it on Jesus. What's out of line when you put it all on yourself? But lifting your hands ain't putting it on yourself. Shouting a little bit ain't putting it on yourself. Doing some different things to feel lost in the spirit ain't putting it on yourself running across these chairs on top of them, screaming, that's putting it on yourself. I'm going to calm you down. But as long as the attention is being put on Jesus, we call that worship. If the attention's put on you, we call that idolatry. But I want you to have freedom. Like, like I, I'm going I'm, I'm I'm to just say it. Lord, forgive me in advance. We will edit this out of the message. But some of you, I, I, I don't even know if you know Jesus because you, you, you don't do nothing. Like, I don't know how you can know Jesus and not worship. Like, I don't know how you, like, if, you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you've experienced what he's given you and he set you free, I don't know how you just sit there. And, but on a serious note, so can I give us some freedom today? Like, not only are we going to get rid of doubt, but we also going to get rid of the struggles. Like, like, I want you to know you have freedom in this place to worship Jesus, whatever that means to you. You say, well, Mickey, I don't feel comfortable doing all that. Well, that's fine, but do me a favor. Don't make everybody else feel uncomfortable if they do worship like that. Like, you worship Jesus like you want to worship and let other people worship Jesus like they feel called to worship. And together, we, gonna, we literally going to get to a place where, like, I want people to drive by on the road and have their windows down this summer and be like, man, what in the world's going on up there? Because we're worshiping. One more thing before I get in trouble. You know the difference between worship and a concert? A concert I watch, worship I participate. And so you're like, well, hey, I'm just gonna come and watch. That's fine, it's a concert. Guess what, we charge for those. We're going to be selling tickets. We're going to get in a building real soon. But if you want to participate, and and I'm, I'm being facetious, but I'm encouraging, hopefully. Like, I want you to learn to worship. Because if you learn to worship, it's going to help you get rid of the doubts. Like, one of the reasons why you struggle with doubts is because you're lacking in experience. In fact, I'll go to another step. Flip with me to Hebrews chapter 11. One of the reasons why people struggle, one of the why that lady struggled is because she did not know who Jesus was. She didn't realize she was talking to the Messiah. In fact, he responds to the woman at the well and says, he who you talk to is him. And at that point, boy, she can't contain herself. She runs back to the village. She tells everybody. She brings the whole village. She says, come and see the person that told me everything. But listen to what Hebrews, Hebrews defines what I think is the next step that's gonna get rid of doubt. Most people struggle with doubt because they're, They're trying to believe and worship something they do not know. They've never had an experience. The second is because they're missing a major part of it, and it's faith. Hebrew chapter 11, verse 1 gives you the definition. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Say hope for. Notice it isn't faith is the assurance of all the things that I know. It's the things that I hope for. You say, give me an example of that. I hope that all this is true. That's faith. You say, well, do you accept it as the truth? Oh, yeah, I accept it as the truth because I know it's true. How do I know it's true? Because my hope went from a hope that it was true to experiencing it and knowing that it's true. Like when I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior and I started getting into the word and I asked for the spirit to be manifested and I'm wanting to, to grow in my relationship with Jesus. I want to grow in knowing him more. In the process of growing, I have found that not only do I have to have faith to believe, but it moves me from a faith to believe to a knowledge of knowing that I ain't got to have faith anymore because I know it's the truth. And the truth will set you Free. But it says, listen, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And then verse two, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. You know, the the aspect that's there is the fact that one of the aspects of faith is it gives us the knowledge to know where everything came from. And in fact, a part of faith is to understand that the aspect that, that everything we look at, like it's, it's Romans chapter 1, verse 20. You can write that in your notes. That tells you that there's a God. But faith gives us the ability to start looking and going, you know what? I know that there's a God because when I look around and see everything, I know that, that this, this didn't just come out of, like, like there had to be Something. He said, Well, Mickey, I, I struggle with all that. I have doubts with all that. Well, can I read you Hebrews, or not Hebrews? Can I read you another one? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. Listen to me. It's human to doubt. It's human to doubt. But it's immature to stay there. Can you catch that? It's human to doubt. But it's immaturity that will allow you to stay there. Like what I'm talking about today is, is moving forward in our faith, moving forward in our beliefs, where we move from, from doubts and struggles because we're talking about the Easter story, right? We're talking about Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. We're talking about dramatic things. And it's easy to doubt those things. If you're not doubting, I'd say you're probably not breathing. But to live in that doubt and to stay there, that's immaturity. And scripture says in Hebrews chapter six, verse one, that you need to, you need to move forward. You need to get past just the elementary teachings of Jesus. What does that mean? You need to get past just the, well, Jesus died on a cross to save you for your sins. That's an elementary beginning teaching. You need to get a little bit deeper. You need to go a little bit deeper. You need to start understanding exactly who God is. You say, how do I do that? You got to get in his word. You got to get around people that are in his word. You got to get it with people that want to pursue him and his word. And you got to start doing the things that his word says. I'll give you the greatest example. If, If I wanted to start building houses, you know what I wouldn't do? I wouldn't go to the golf course and talk to the golf pro. Now, if I wanted to learn how to play golf, I'd go to the golf course and talk to the golf pro. But if I want to learn how to build houses, then I'm going to go to a builder that builds houses. Now, the crazy part is there's some people that build houses that think they know golf. I've played with those people, they do not. I also know people that play golf that think they know how to build a house. I've seen their sheds. Guess what? They do not. But we go to the world and ask the world to teach us about godly things and guess what? They do not know godly things. You need to go to godly people. What separates us from worldly and godly? A knowledge of Jesus Christ and a pursuit of his righteousness. I think we are losing a battle, church, Because the church is looking to the world to tell us how to respond to hot topics. And I think what we really need to do is go to God's word and say, this is what the response is, no matter what they say. You say, what are those hot topics? I ain't gonna talk about that. But I'm telling you, we need to get into God's word and need to learn to to stand firm in our faith so that we can stand up and speak truth, not to belittle people but to allow people to experience Jesus so that they could be set free and have life to the full. In fact, I'll go one step further. In Hebrews chapter 11, here's how powerful faith is. Verse six, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So, I, don't, I don't know if I can have faith to do that. Well, it's impossible then. You will never, ever, never truly understand Jesus if you don't have faith. Like literally, without faith, it's impossible. The crazy part is Philippians says what? Through Jesus, all things are possible. You say, well, what do I do about that? Well, where's your life? Are you living in the impossible or are you living in that all things are possible? Well, I don't know what's gonna happen with my kids or with my marriage or with my job or with my career or with my calling. You're you're living without faith. But if we dive into God's word and we allow God to become a part of our lives and we move forward, not only will the doubt flee, but now all of a sudden, what seemed impossible becomes possible. You say, Mickey, prove it. Wives, look at your husbands in the room. Say, yeah, you really didn't deserve this. (laughs) God makes all things possible. I'm looking at you guys like, yeah, like you do trust me. He's like, luckily my my wife's home. Ellie's sick today. You can be praying for her. So it gives me freedom to be able to say this, even though she's watching online. Love you, honey. (laughs) But I look at my life and I'm like, I don't know how this is possible. I'm not that smart. I'm not that intelligent. I mean, to be honest with you, as hard as it is to admit this, I'm not that good. But my God is. And I think a lot of times we struggle with doubt because just like these disciples, right? They've seen everything But yet they still doubt it. Just like with you, you've seen God so many ways, but yet you still doubt. You say, What does that mean? Listen to me. Here's the way I wrote it in my notes it says, Seeing does not always equal believing. Like, if we were to really get honest, it ain't that you hadn't seen God, it's just that just seeing doesn't always equal believing. Getting a perspective doesn't always make it your reality. In fact, if you were to go to chapter 11, where we're sitting for a second, do you know that in 27 verses, in 27 verses, actually 28 verses, 17 times, he says, by faith. He starts talking about all these different people. He talks about Abraham. He says, by faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. By faith, Arab. By faith. He just started, by faith. By faith. By... He starts talking about all these different people. And the basis of every single one of them, that's a legacy of God's word, that's a major part of God's story. The beginning of it all started with their faith. But yet a lot of times we sit here and we say, no, I just don't know. You're going to have to show me. Well, listen, don't mishear me. I can prove to you in a heartbeat that this is God's word without ever being faith. I can prove to you in a heartbeat that what we celebrated is the last week, the the historical, the, the amazing effect the resurrection had in this world and that Jesus Christ, I can show you without using God's word. But listen to me, no matter how much we may look into stuff, it's still gonna boil down to you gotta have faith. At some point, you got to have faith. Why? Because if you didn't have to have faith, then you really wouldn't need God. Because all of a sudden, that would just be built on your concrete thinking. Everything that you can touch and you can feel and you can see. And God's like, no, no, no. I created you to think abstractly. In other words, there are things that you can't see and that you can't touch, but that doesn't mean it's not there. You say, what's the power of faith? Well, let me read the last few verses, starting in verse 32. And this is in Hebrews. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to mention Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. All of this is because of their faith. Listen to what it keeps reading. Quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, Were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. All this is because of their faith. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with swords. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in the dens and caves of the earth. All of these, though condemned, through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had proved something better for us, that apart from us, that they should be made perfect. And then chapter 12, Therefore, In fact, I would tell you, what is the opposite of doubt? Faith. All that we're talking about goes back to to what? Matthew chapter 28. When we're sitting here talking about this great commission that we've heard so many times. And listen to it again. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Why did they doubt? Because okay, they never truly experienced faith. You say, how do you experience faith? Well, you put it into actions. You say, what do I do? Well, let's keep reading and I'm gonna be done. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let's not run past that. After his resurrection, before he has his trans. Figuration, where he goes to be with the father, where he's going to sit by the father waiting for the, God, for the father to say, okay, go get him, son. And that's where he's sitting right now. He's sitting there. I think every day he's saying, let me go, let me go, let me go. And every day the father's saying, oh, we're almost there. You say, why would he not send him back? Because he still wants one more. He's waiting. His love for people is so strong that he's willing to delay the inevitable, hoping that one more would receive his son as their Lord and Savior. Because once the clouds part and the trumpet sounds, it says it'll be as if a camel going through the eye of a needle is how tough it will be for somebody to come into a right relationship with Jesus. Because tribulation's gonna hit and end times is gonna hit. And don't mishear me, there will still be the opportunity for some to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior before the final battle, the Armageddon, but it's gonna be so hard. And because of God's grace, he's saying, you know what, not yet. Let your son just, I know you're ready, but there's so many that I love. And let's just wait. But Jesus has this authority now. And here's what he tells them to do. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You say, Mickey, why in the world are we having baptism Sunday? Because it's the key to faith. See, there was three things. They're they're actually what's called a present active indicative in the Greek. That sounds like something like, ooh, it's the simplest thing. Basically, it means this. It's a verb tense that means not only does it happen, but it keeps happening, and it's never gonna stop until the end of time. And so literally, the three were go, baptize, and teach. Actually, the way it should read is, is go and keep going as you go. In other words, don't stop. Everywhere you're going as you go, baptize and keep baptizing and don't stop baptizing and teach and don't stop teaching and keep teaching. And those are the three verbs that are in that, that we call the great commission. And so basically saying, as you are going, continue to be baptizing and continue to be teaching so that people can be obedient. And he says, and lo, I'll be with you even till the end of the age. You say, why are we having baptism Sunday? Because we believe that Jesus is who he says that he is. And because nothing speaks louder about faith than a public display that is baptism. You say, well, Mickey, I, you know, I, I grew up. I know about baptism. I mean, that's one of those things you do one time, and once you do it, you're good for the rest of your life. Meh. Yeah. Maybe. See, I, I believe, I don't believe baptism saves you. I believe baptism is a demonstration of your faith. You say, what gives you the right to say that? Well, I don't think that Jesus being baptized made him Jesus. I think Jesus was baptized because his father said, you're gonna demonstrate something I want them to do. See, baptism doesn't make you more saved. Baptism is an outward expression of what's already taking place on the inside. It's a demonstration of your faith. In fact, I think one of the greatest things that we are able to experience on a regular basis is the aspect of baptism where people kind of take a moment and they, whew, like, I need to move forward in my life. I've accepted God as my Lord and Savior. I was baptized even as a kid. But you know what? I'm just ready to, I'm just ready to move forward. I just, I just want to let everybody know that publicly today, that I believe in Jesus and I have the faith that He's going to move me forward from this day forward. See, just like baptism doesn't save you, getting rebaptized don't send you to hell. Like I, on my bucket list, there will be a day that Amy Lou and I are in Israel and I will be at that Jordan River and I will be baptized. You say, oh, well, pastor, you can't do that. You've already accepted Jesus and been baptized. Well, can you come watch me? You go on a trip with me. I'll let every one of you line up. Every one of you can baptize me. Why? Because baptism isn't something I'm doing because of something I need. Baptism is something I'm doing because of something He did. And I think we confuse it. Like today, you're gonna see people being baptized and it's a celebration that their life has been made new. And for some of you in this room, I love you enough to tell you the truth. You need to quit worrying about what's real and what's not real. And you just need to go ahead and settle it and make it public that Jesus is Lord of your life. I've watched people that go through literally hell on earth trying to figure out if a commitment they made at a hot dog dinner when they were eight years old at a revival was real. And what Jesus is saying is, I don't care about the hot dog dinner. What I care about is today. Today is the day. Do you acknowledge me today? Because I don't want you to deal with doubt. I don't want you to deal with Struggles. Like, like, I love you, but listen, this is a this is good old Cleveland city water. It's not even filtered. Not only is it not going to save you, you may end up with something. <laughs> but just like faith, it has a way of taking on a whole new meaning if you'll allow it. But I want you to know, every person being baptized has already prayed to receive Jesus. You say, well, Mickey, I have not Can I tell you that's my life purpose? It's for you not to have to stay there. You say, Mickey, I can't do anything for you, but I can tell you the one that can You say, how? Scripture says it's a confession of your mouth and a belief in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and you shall be saved. It's as simple as saying, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I'm going to try to live for you. You say, Mickey, I can't do that because tomorrow, man, you don't understand. I I have a problem cussing. I have 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 a problem with my mouth. Listen. You don't know the people you're sitting with. Like, you need to go hang out with the pastor's wife. Let me tell you something. Talk about a mouth. You got to laugh. It's got to be, you know, Lord, forgive me. Honey, I'll see you when I get home. I know you're watching. In all seriousness, listen, we don't accept Jesus because we're perfect. We accept Jesus because we're not. You say, well, what if I mess up? Welcome to being human. And there'll be plenty of grace and love at this place to just walk with you. You're going to start judging me? Nope, nope, nope. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Judge not lest you be judging ain't. Mm-mm. I don't want you judging me. I'm not going to be judging you. I'll love you and hope you love me. Despite. But leaving here not being led to do what right now is in your spirit to do is a very dangerous game. And I would encourage you not to play it because I don't know. I don't know how many more opportunities you're going to have. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe so you don't miss out. Also, if you want to help support reaching more people with these life-giving messages, visit com slash give or text CRCC with your dollar amount to 73256. Once again, thanks for listening.